Hello and welcome to Our Three Cents, a podcast celebrating the very finest video games. My name is Jonathan Dunn and I am joined by my childhood friend, Chris Dow. We're halfway there! And my adulthood friend, Minty Booth. The books of Jacqueline Wilson. And we're discussing our all-time top 100 video games. Announcement! Announcement! As you may have noticed, we have now started on the official second season of Our Three Cents. Whoa, a gritty sequel. I know, the difficult second album. (laughs) As we have tumbled officially into our top 50 favourite video games of all time. We have had the most wonderful time making these episodes in the past year and a bit, and we've enjoyed the interaction we've had with you lovely listeners so very, very much indeed. And we've decided that we'd like to do more of it. We want to create more content, establish deeper lore, find more ways of interacting with you lovely listeners and generally be able to put more time into this project to make it bigger and better. In order to do that, we are reaching out to ask for some extra support, please. And we have launched a Patreon page. If you head over to www.patreon.com forward slash our three cents, you'll find that there are several tiers that you can now pledge to if you are so inclined. And in exchange for your support, we will reciprocate with so many amazing things that you may not be able to cope with it. (laughs) There will be bonus content, social media shout outs, special recordings, live video streams, custom artwork, and even the chance to record an episode with us. All of these things and more are waiting for you, depending on how much you wish to pledge. But we will be immensely grateful for any amount or just simply your continued support outside of Patreon. But if you do feel like investing in this project, we hope that you will be rewarded with as much joy as we will be getting out of taking our three cents to a new level. (laughs) Video games. So... This week, we have our number 50s. Yeah. But before we do that, it is time to go into the quiz. Yes. Okay. Yes. Right. At the end of season one, the score was 26 to Chris, 21 to Minty. And because we didn't decide on exactly the format of the quiz, there are two (laughs) points to the quiz master. (laughs) So... In order to get the scores nice and level, I'm going to pick two random questions from the last 50 to ask again right now to bring the scores up. So this is a chance for two bonus points. Okay. Okay. In Mortal Kombat, the final boss was the evil Shang Tsung. But can you name the four-armed monster? Goro. Goro. (laughs) That is one back for Minty. No. In Donkey Kong Country for the SNES, a second player could join in as your sidekick named... Diddy Kong. Minty's in there again. No. There we go. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sorry. sorry, It's happened happened very quickly. So the score is 26-23 going into question 50. Still got a lead. How many rows of aliens are there usually at the start of a Space Invaders game? Five. Chris is correct. Oh, it is five. He likes his arcade games. He does. He does. The score is 27-23 in favour of Chris. But overall, Minty, in this last bout, you have clawed one back. So, Mm. well done. 
So, what have we been playing this week? Chris, have you started Tales of zippity doo or is that a Zippity-Nay? Uh, it's a Zippity-Nay for the moment. I've had a very busy week, so I've also not made any more progress in uh, Ocarina of Time. It's still just sat on the side at the moment. That's fair enough. These things happen. I know. The, the only thing I really played much of this week, I played through a short game by um, Mike Bithell of Thomas Was Alone fame ah. called Subsurface Circular. You might have seen it on, on the Switch or on Steam or something like that. It's like a short adventure game that's set in a future where androids are used for, for myriad jobs alongside humans. And the title, the, the subsurface circular, refers to like an underground subway that the robots use to move about the world. And the whole game takes place entirely in one subway carriage. And it's kind of an adventure game in as much as there's sort of puzzles you solve through dialogue with other kind of android beings that get on the, on the train. But it's got a really nice like neo-futuristic sort of UI. It, it's really designed well. And even though it's short, it's only around two hours, the whole thing, the game kind of asks some quite deep questions about the sort of, um, I don't know, you call it like acid mafian law, you know, the sort of robot law that always comes up in all, all sci-fi. Yeah, like Isaac Asimov's uh, laws. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. And it asks things about like political class uh, and, you know, there's, there's quite a lot in it for it being like a, a short, sweet experience. And I think it's very well written. It's very, very engaging. And it has another sequel that I've not played yet called uh, Quarantine Circular that I'd like to get onto at some point. So I know that's quite okay. short as well. Apparently I have bought Subsurface Circular. Uh, apparently it's on my Switch already. So <laughs> Well, I would give it a go. I think it would be right up your street. Minty, what have you been playing this week? A particular substrata of mobile games that I particularly enjoy is the isometric room escape games. Mm. You may remember that uh, <laughs> Mrs. Minty and I love just sitting in bed and trying to escape the room that we are currently in. But one that we completed on a short holiday to my parents was called Knox. So as I said, it's a it's an isometric escape room game, which I really like because you think you've solved all the puzzles and you're stuck. But then you can press these sort of two arrows in a circle button and there's a whole other wall of the room that you haven't explored yet. Oh my. And that goes on for all the rooms in the whole freaking house. And then that's compounded by you being just this stranger who has been incarcerated in the basement who then has to escape. But it turns out that you are... Ooh, oh, I've said too much. You'll have <laughs> to play Knox to uh, discover the mystery for yourself. Ooh. And you will not regret it. Well, I've been playing a mobile game myself. I've had an incredibly busy and, and, and quite frankly stressful week. So I haven't been able to sit down and, and, and play on anything, despite the fact that I've bought several games on the PlayStation Store and on the Nintendo eShop. The only game I've actually put any time into this week is a little mobile game I've been playing called Path Picks. It is a little puzzle game. Basically, you have a massive grid, and in the grid there are different coloured numbers, and you basically need to draw a line between matching numbers of the same colour, filling as many blocks as there is in the number between the two pairs. Does that make sense? It's kind of a mix between flow and pit cross. Yeah, that sounds pretty go. good. With inspirational quotes peppered in, depending on what the pictures make. Yeah, it's very simple. I find it incredibly therapeutic. And there's about just under 200 puzzles in the game. You get that for like 199 And then there's about 12 other versions of the game available with uh, various themes. There's like a Path Picks Wild with lots of nice animals in. There's a Path Picks 
giant, I think it is, which has just got massive puzzles. I'm nearing the end of this first one, actually, and I'm looking forward to downloading another one, giving them a couple more pounds of my hard-earned money. Shall we move on to the rankings? Let's do it. It's our top 50s. Let's do our it. top 50 video games. Starting this week, we have Chris's game. Oh, hello. Chris, can you please tell us what your 50th favourite video game of all time is, please? I'd love to, because I think it's one that you both enjoy. So you can all celebrate with me. Oh, here we go. Here we go. We live for this shit. <laughs> one of the problems that comes with the format of this show is that naturally games that we deem list worthy that have come out after we lock down our lists are not eligible. Yeah. So it means we've, we've mentioned before, like Jonathan, you've had things like Dark Souls and Dead Cells that you would place very highly and, and can't submit. Yeah. For Minty, you know, you might say you would put in like Dragon Quest Eleven. I'm sure would rank somewhere oh, yeah. for, for yeah. kind of how much you enjoyed it at the time. Like for me, the, the Tetris games like Effect and 99 are, are both, both great. But a weird side issue that hasn't really come up so far is the idea of sort of the iterative release, like something that might have come out and improved upon a game that was on our list a little bit, but not enough to kind of be a different thing, if that makes sense. It does not, but I'm sure it will in a matter of moments. Oh, he's put a game in on a technicality, hasn't he? Hypothetically, if, if I'd highlighted, say, FIFA 18 as one of my favourite games of all time for, for some reason, there's a good chance that playing 19 and 20, they'd iterated upon and improved upon the previous entries and thus potentially rendering the one that's on my list kind of void because it's something that you just assume is going to get better. Yes. Sure. And for me, a game that does sit on my list and, and you know, fits this conundrum is Super Smash Bros. Ah. Because, oh. you know, you know the, the, the N64 original was comfortably bested by Melee on the GameCube. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, which yeah. then, you know, outside of the hyper-competitive scene who, who stuck with the GameCube forever, was then usurped by Brawl on the Wii. And then, again, for most people, was, was kind of beaten again by the fourth entry on the Wii U and the 3DS. And when we made these lists, obviously, the edition that was most recent was the one on the Wii U and the 3DS, the, the horribly titled Super Smash Bros. for Wii U and 3DS. Yeah. So that is the game that sits at number 50 on my list. Ah. So Smash Bros. As, as a game, despite all of us obviously accepting that Smash Ultimate is you know, the, the ultimate take on that game's format, essentially. Absolutely, so they nailed that. So any, any one of these games is, is great. Any one of them stands like largely individually within the fighting genre for what it offers. And it just happens that Ultimate is not on the list, but we know that it is greater than its forebears, if that makes sense. So <laughs> yeah, I'm going to talk about absolutely. this series quite generally, but obviously for this list, it's going to say Super Smash Bros. for Wii U, because that, that was the one that came out at the time. Everyone knows what Smash Bros is. If you're listening to this podcast, I'd be absolutely amazed if you didn't know what this game was. But just to flesh things out, you pick one of a cavalcade of characters from across Nintendo's own history, as well as increasingly the history of other third-party developers as well. You fight in one of many stages themed around the levels or worlds or concepts or themes connected with these different franchises that are represented in the character roster, and you win by knocking your opponents out of bounds of the map, essentially. And then you just have fun you know indefinitely you just have fun <laughs> and it's a game that's got better and better through the expansion of these core concepts so you know all the things we mentioned it has also been amazing as a game that is very very accessible but with the option for like serious depth for people who really want to get into it over time it's become like a poster child for just wild excess yeah you know i mean looking at smash ultimate there's about a thousand music tracks like jeremy are you insane <laughs> like, that's a lot that's a lot of stuff and it, it's become like, it's a celebration. It's, it's a franchise that's about celebration, not just of Nintendo's history, but of just all gaming. So we're, we're at the point now where, um, you know, you could play around where you uppercut Pikachu playing as uh, Street Fighter's Ryu, 
while stages from WarioWare play behind you and the music soundtrack is a song from Sonic R. <laughs> or you could uh, you could find yourself ground-pounding Earthbound's Ness whilst playing as Donkey Kong as you're flying around the Wii Sports Woohoo Island to the sweeping orchestral soundtrack of Mario Galaxy. Or you could inhale and absorb the abilities of Pac-Man whilst playing as Kirby on a stage that's literally being constructed around you uh, because it's inspired by Mario Maker and in the background is the open world theme of Hyrule Field. Like, it's it's an amazing combination of, of just so much of what we understand and enjoy from games. And it's it's always fun to play because even if you're doing badly, even if you're not having a good round, you still have a lot of these little bits that you can latch onto and, and kind of take something from. It's a game I've played quite a lot of over the years, like, like different versions, but particularly the one on the Wii U and the 3DS. It is um, a game I am still pretty shit at. <laughs> but above all, it's just a game I'm amazed it can exist because, as I mentioned, it's, it's a licensing clusterfuck, surely. It must be just a nightmare to sort this shit out. All the fights are always manic. Like, Smash Brothers is great for the casual player because it's not really about precision in the way that something like Street Fighter or Virtua Fighter is. The fights are meant to be quite messy and sloppy and unpredictable. And much in the same way that Mario Kart as a franchise is built around allowing a better player to win but that better player still sometimes being undone by like rng or rubber banding smash kind of will let you learn its systems it lets you understand your character that you choose as your kind of main choice but always potentially lets you be at the behest of the game's essentially like internal dice rolls stuff can go wrong and that's kind of part of the fun like there, there's items the support characters that will pop up and appear with the sole intention of just wrecking your day. Oh yeah. Um, the, the stages that will deform on the fly and drop you into an abyss just as you're about to release <laughs> like your final smash. There are there are certain characters that no matter how many times you play against, they always seem to be able to do you in with some weird combo that you can't manage to pull off yourself. It's just it's an exciting layered experience, and I, and I think Smash Bros represents, you know, fighting games for people who don't care about fighting games, and because of that, it's a great solo game. It's a great multiplayer game. And it's one, like I said, I've, I've played a lot on my own. I've played a lot in, in co-op with my brother. I've played competitively with, with friends. But in every iteration, right through to the Wii U, which obviously hits this list, but also in Ultimate since then, it's a game that makes me very, very happy, whilst at the same time making me swear really angrily at the people I'm playing with, and also just shake my head in disbelief at the sheer amount of content that is, that is smashed into it. It's my 50th favourite video game, but it's it's kind of my 50th favorite video game like i said is essentially smash bros the concept as opposed to any individual game so much sure could be the blocky polygons the n64 it could be the crisp hd presentation the wii u and the switch because honestly i think to love games is to love smash bros and to love smash bros is to love games and that i think is a really good way to open season two my number 50 a game about games for gamers and everyone in between lovely absolutely lovely Yes, I agree wholeheartedly with everything you've said. And I think I said when we were playing Super Smash Bros. Ultimate that it is such a celebration of games mm. and almost like a like a museum, a gallery of everything that not just Nintendo has uh, has achieved and created, but, you, you know, like, like we said, branching out to flipping Pac-Man and Sonic and Metal Gear Solid and, and yeah. it's just stupid, isn't it? <laughs> My main is Ike from Fire Emblem. Who's yours? I mean, I always used to be Roy. Roy was my boy. Mm. <laughs> I liked playing as Link, like playing as Samus, Donkey Kong. All right, mm. greedy. All right. These are all characters. For the last couple of games, I always chose uh, Princess Peach. Interesting. Ooh. You love pulling those turnips. Yeah, I never really use the turnips so much as the big forward bum charge. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh, I always found very satisfying. I'm sure that more memories of Super Smash Brothers will come out in, uh, in, uh, in time. Hmm. So for now... Let's move on 
to my game. So having heard you both talk quite recently about games that you got with a new console with uh, GTA 3 and Super Mario 64, Mm -hmm. it is my turn to talk about a console and indeed a generational first for me. Because this game is one of two games that made me want to get a GameCube. Oh, oh are you going <laughs> to... Carry on. Whilst this game was one of the launch titles for the GameCube, oh! <laughs> I'd sort of let the launch of the GameCube and the PS2 pass me by. I was still quite happy with my Saturn. And to be honest, given the immense cost of the Saturn at the time, I'd sort of given up on the idea that I'd be able to afford a home console again. I remember that year... What, 1995, 96? Me and my brother had to share both our birthday and Christmas presents to get a Saturn to share. So I kind of resorted to handheld consoles being my thing and was perfectly happy with my Game Boy Advance. But then I went round to my friend Alec Howard's house and I saw the GameCube in action and and, and things changed for me. <laughs> things stirred in your trousers. I am cutting that. I saw him play a couple of games and... <laughs> I saw him play a couple of games and all of a sudden I was willing to move heaven and earth to get one for myself. Fortunately, a friend of mine by the name of Matthew Wharton, who I used to play squash with and who was also an absolutely extraordinary pianist. He had bought a GameCube at launch and decided he didn't really want it. And my parents were able to buy it from him fairly cheaply to let me have it as a combined birthday and Christmas present that December. And the huge bonus was that he had three games that he didn't want either. Two of which were the games that made me want a GameCube in the first instance. The other one was Luigi's Mansion, which I came to discover as well in the Junus, of course, and really enjoy. The third game is one that I will talk about another time, but for now I want to talk about the remaining game in my <laughs> debut GameCube catalogue, oh which boy. is uh, Star Wars Rogue Squadron 2 Rogue Leader. How is this so low? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> oh, you villain! I had no idea this would engender such a response. <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> It's worth mentioning before we get into this that way, way back we had a question about what our favourite games were based on a movie and I omitted this from my discussion back then. But I think this is, is, is probably it for me in terms of a video game adaptation of a movie. So the first thing that blew me away with this game was, was the graphics. I mean, I remember reading an article where the writer suspected that the GameCube must have a special Star Wars graphics chip in it because <laughs> to me it looked every bit as good as the movies and and to be honest if you go back to the original un-George Lucas meddled films it probably actually looked a bit better than those did but there was certainly nothing else that looked as good as it on current generation consoles at the time it did have a bit of an advantage in being majoritively set in space so many many weeks back I spoke about how Thief the Dark Project looked absolutely incredible because it was hiding all of its rough edges in the low light (laughs) similar tricks at work here being with a massive black backdrop but still the ship models looked amazing there was amazing lighting that happened as you were moving in all the dimensions uh, and 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 your, your ship would light perfectly um, amazing draw distance like there was real depth oh, yeah you could see yeah. stuff coming from a mile away mm. it totally delivered on the set pieces 
you could saw down the trench run on the Death Star, trip up the enormous Atats on Hoth, weave your way through an asteroid field, take part in huge dogfights across space, and the environments were incredible. They did some amazing stuff in the Cloud City, and you're weaving through like the little settlements in the sunset, blowing up hot air balloons. It looked incredible oh yeah I, I remember when you when you got this for your birthday you had a birthday party that a bunch of people came around and you were playing this obsessively mm. you know I, i've never put any time to this game but it looked amazing then and I, I think it does still hold up so this game was incredibly hard for me certainly and i think part of this was down to the fact that i hadn't played a modern 3d game and certainly not one where you could move truly in a 3d space without the confines of of gravity it was alarming how sort of free you were to move in different directions and uh, and and that was quite intimidating because you you know you couldn't really prepare for what's the 3d term for 360 degrees um globe full globular vision that's it you did not have um i didn't mean to say that in the style of yoda but i guess (laughs) it is apt and it also had like fantastic mechanics of being able to give commands to the other fighters in your squadron so it had a a real-time tactical edge to it in addition to the immediate action for each mission in the game there were different ranked medals you could earn for your performance from bronze all the way up to platinum i think so there was always a reason to jump back into a mission to see if you could beat it quicker or more efficiently but there were also like conditions for some medals where you had to defeat say 50 tie fighters in amongst meeting the rest of the win conditions and also to get a platinum medal you couldn't use your targeting system at all uh, ever so it meant you you really had to hone your reactions and accuracy skills to get these and I think I probably did manage to get a handful of platinum medals, but I mean, I certainly didn't get all of them. And I remember I never managed to get the platinum medal on the very first mission on the Death Star Trench Run, which you really had to beat absolutely perfectly with probably a fair bit of luck thrown in as well for the RNG appearances of the TIE Fighters. But yeah, my goodness, it made you work for them. One of the really nice things about the game was that the different missions were were coming from a lot of different viewpoints. So you weren't just retread in the steps of Luke or Han Solo from the movie. Uh, You would also play as Wedge and uh, conduct a mission that was happening concurrently with what was happening with the main protagonists at the time. And there were even secret missions you could unlock that would have you play as Darth Vader and play from the opposite side, and and that was great. There was just so much content. There were so many missions and so many different ways to play them. Loads of little Easter eggs to unlock as well. It was just chock full of content even like the menu systems were like narrated by uh dennis lawson wedge antilles himself mm. as a nice bit of a cameo appearance that was the best bit of rise of skywalker for me that was great wasn't it mm. i mean i could have taken or left a, a lot of that film especially some of the needless callbacks and cameos like no point in having lando there whatsoever mm. would have been fine if he'd have turned up in that bit not a problem but wedge rocking up Yes. I do think it's a shame that... Well, I remember when The Force Awakens came out and they were really gearing up Poe Dameron to be the great pilot character in in the sequel trilogy. But then after J.J. Abrams had a hissy fit that Ryan Johnson did some character development (laughs) and J.J. decided to throw his collectible figurines out of the pram, we never really got to see a, a full trilogy's worth of what was teased in the first film in terms of... Poe Dameron and his his amazing flying fighting skills. 
But I remember when The Force Awakens came out, how great it would have been to get a Star Wars Black Leader game based around The Force Awakens and some of the stories from the Poe Dameron Marvel comics. Uh, and with like, I mean, it would have made for such a great game. Oh, I've suddenly become aware of how just so desperately needful I am <laughs> yeah. in my current state. It's a shame. I'm so upset with you, Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what, what I find weird, just before you go back to this, I, I'm not a big Star Wars person, but because they had that big like expunging of all the, the kind of extended universe stuff when Disney took over, yeah. the, the only sort of can, canon tie-in for the additional stuff game-wise that came out around Force Awakens was the Lego games. And I'm pretty sure they were said to be yeah. those stories are, are legit. Like the side stories they, they tell in that are apparently uh, what happened to some of these characters on the side. And it's, it's a very different approach, isn't it? Considering you, you had like the big budget stuff in, in Rogue Leader. Just as an overarching sentiment, Disney is um, the bad kind of Sith. Okay. <laughs> you're right what you're saying, Chris, about how like the original still holds up. I was watching a playthrough whilst writing some notes for this and... It's, it looks fantastic. Then I managed, I found a HD upscaled emulation of it using the Dolphin emulator. Yeah. And I think they, they they had added in like an HD texture pack. And I mean, it looked, it, it looked fantastic. And I mean, oh, could you imagine just how great a remastered version of that full trilogy would be, including the first one from the N64. And I mean, I know the third one, Rebel Strike, I think it was the Return of the Jedi one. It was a bit naff, which is a shame, but I think with a bit of polish and some of the some modern gaming mod cons, quality of life things, I think, oh my goodness, what an amazing package that would be. Yeah. What an amazing yeah. package that would be. Star Wars Rogue Squadron 2 Rogue Leader is my 50th favourite video game of all time. Woo! So I'm going to be sharing some of my opinions on this game several months down the line. <laughs> maybe or not but one of the things that will always stick with me is the fact that they uh, up until the release of this game so many interviews were like oh like why did you why did you put the death star attack as the first level and they were like well this is it was our statement of intent yeah it's such a it's such a pivotal moment in the in in the star wars canon this is where we were planting our flag in the sand and saying like we can do this justice in the first sort of 10 minutes of gameplay. Yeah. And they could. Yeah, they it's could. It's incredible. It really and is. And that kind of audacity, along with the competency to deliver on those wild and borderline arrogant promises. Yeah. They are so rare these days. Yeah, it was just it was just so involving. It made you really think like you were there. It was just so wonderful. And oh boy, I've said too much. <laughs> for now would you care to say a little bit more but talk about a different game specifically your 50th favorite video game of all time yes i hope that i've whetted your appetite because um much as i was excited to talk about your video game i'm excited to talk about my video game and i've been really excited to talk about this for ages now it's a sequel of a predecessor that i never played much in keeping with my personal branding. <laughs> <laughs> the first game, I've never played it, and I've never even watched gameplay of it. I know nothing about it. Nothing at all. If you were alive... Which I am. <laughs> yeah. If you were alive and on the internet about 10 to 15 years ago, you'd remember the irrefutable truths of the internet. 
MySpace is the greatest social media platform. <laughs> the greatest artistic expression is stick figures fighting each other. Yeah. <laughs> and the cake is a lie. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> that little game nestled in the orange box took the world by storm with its quirky antagonist and excellent take on platforming. Also, I've heard. Never played it. But I did play its sequel. And I loved it a whole bunch. Portal 2. Yes. I like that game. You do. And I like the first game. Famously. We've all gone on record. We've stated this stuff under oath. <laughs> so I bought this game and I was expecting just a really solid first person puzzle platformer. But I wasn't expecting what I think is one of the greatest bait and switches in creative storytelling in video games ever. You start off doing levels a la Portal 1 in a way to escape to derelict Aperture Science Facility before resurrecting the chaotic AI GLaDOS from the first game. Uh, that bitch. Oh, yeah, tell me about it, yeah. <laughs> but then she makes you a test subject in more of her apocalyptic science experiments in the vein of the first game before you break free of her control and then begin the fight to break free of yet another dreadful AI who was driven mad with power. What an incredible story Portal 2 has. It takes you from being blown away from the extremely tight level design bolstered by fun dialogue and interesting story to being blown away by the fantastic story and fun dialogue which is bolstered by the extremely strong game mechanics. I really loved playing it so much from appreciating what the construction of the levels brought to the game as you started playing it uh, in the first place. I really love playing it so much from really appreciating what the construction of the levels in the early game to the great uh, betrayal of characters which will hitherto go unexplained. It's only two characters in the game. <laughs> well, yeah, but what if other people want to play it? Well, they'll know that it doesn't matter. I want to play it. Yeah, you should. It's on the shelf. So you get betrayed, and then you have to escape this great dystopian carcass of the Aperture Labs themselves in the second half. It's, it's fantastic. It's so good. It's like a deconstruction of the game itself. You're... You're navigating derelict facilities under the increasingly neurotic eye of Stephen Merchant's Wheatley <laughs> before the final showdown where you, you defeat him by... Spoiler alert! Slapping a portal on the whole freaking moon to play a game for the first sort of five hours and then be taken out of it and sort of escape the confines of the established parameters of the game and then escape into a free and more positive world while still acting within the game mechanics. I, I hadn't seen anything like it before. Certainly not to the extent that I'd seen in Portal 2. I loved it. It was wonderful. It's a real masterclass in efficient game design. Superb. Absolutely superb. I agree. I don't know. I've played about three or four hours with you. Mm, Jonathan? Yeah, why haven't we finished that? I haven't got an Xbox and we moved house before we finished it. Yeah, that's true. We should, we should we should do something about that. Well, for those of you who are willing to throw down a couple of gooseberries, perhaps we will do this sort of thing on live stream for you and you alone. That is an excellent incentive. <laughs> so there we have it. Another three games. First of all, we had... Super Smash Brothers for Wii U and 3DS. 
Then we had Star Wars, Rogue Squadron 2, Rogue Leader, before finally Portal 2. If you've enjoyed this episode, or if indeed you've enjoyed any of our episodes, please do like and subscribe, leave us a review, share it on social media, and head on over to www.patreon.com forward slash our three cents and have a look at some of the incredible perks that we're offering in exchange for some of your more specifically financial support. We'll be very much appreciative of that. You can also find us on Facebook. If you go to www.google.com, type in <laughs> Facebook, and then search for Our Three Cents, you'll find us there. And you can chat with us, you can ask us questions that you might like us to answer on future episodes. You can take us to task about our rankings and our opinions on all kinds of games. You can also reach out to us individually. You can find me on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn. You can find me at Chaz underscore Hodges. Join me in hurling PG-13 abuse at terribly unsatisfying American Democratic nominees at Clement <laughs> underscore Boop. And please do join us next week for our number 49s. The cake is alive.